we're so glad you're here. We're continuing our series this week called Frequently Asked Questions. And the whole idea behind this is that there are a lot of things that we do as a church And they can become things that we just do, but we don't understand why it is that we do them. So we're going through and looking at some of the things that we commonly do in church, understanding what is the heart behind it, why is it that we do these things, and what is the importance of these things inside of our lives. And this week, we're going to be talking about worship. And there will be two verses that we're looking at. It will be Psalm 100 and Acts chapter 16. So again, that's Psalm 100 and Acts chapter 16. Uh, For me, growing up, Going to church, my least favorite part of church um, was worship time. When they would sing their songs, and I'd be like, oh my goodness, this is such a waste of my time. Why do we have to do this? And it was because they were pretty terrible musicians. I grew up in a small church where there wasn't a lot of talent base to draw from, I guess you could say. And the songs were pretty weird, uh, to be honest. I didn't really understand the songs. And then thirdly, I felt like I'm not getting anything out of this. You know, I came here to learn about Jesus and to, to you know, learn about Scripture. Why are you wasting my time with trying to entertain me and singing these songs? And it was something that God really had to begin to work in my heart about because the problem I had was that I was looking for what is it that I get out of worship? I didn't value it because I didn't understand the purpose of what worship was. It wasn't ever about me in the first place. You see, worship is about God. It's not about us. Now, we do a lot of things here at church. Every other part of what we do on a Sunday morning is all about people. It's all for people. The reason that uh, we have set-up teams that get here in the morning and they set things up and people have prepared children's areas and the uh, worship team's practicing and we're making coffee and uh, you know, all these other things that we do, greeting people at door, we're doing all of these things because we want to minister to the people that come here. We want people to get something out of coming here. All of these things are directly targeted and meant for the people that come here. But when it comes to worship, it's not for the people. When we come here to worship, it's all about God. This is the part of the service where we're not trying to minister to the people in the seats. The people in the seats, we're trying to minister to our Heavenly Father. And I had to understand that that was the point of worship. I was trying to get something out of it, and I didn't realize there was supposed to be the time when I was giving something to God instead of receiving something from Him. And then I also had to, um, after God worked with this area of my heart, and I started recognizing, okay, this is my time when I'm giving praise and I'm worshiping God and I'm declaring my love and my affections for him. But then what would happen is I would have trouble doing this because I'm a musician, played a lot of guitar and different instruments growing up. I really value excellence in music, and I definitely have very strong preferences for the style of music that I like and the styles that I don't like. So when I'd come into a a place where people were singing songs and to worship and praise God, and it wouldn't be the style that I liked or the guitarist would just be destroying things in not a good way, uh, or people would be singing off pitch, I'd be like, oh my goodness, this is terrible. Like, Jesus is not pleased with what it is that you're offering him. You just gave Jesus the, you know, like the socks for his Christmas gift. Like, nobody wants that. And God had to really deal with my heart. And I remember him speaking to me one day when I was sitting there and I was judging the people that are up on stage trying to lead us in worship. And he had to tell me, you don't get to judge this because this isn't a gift that's for you anyways. I'm the one that gets to determine whether it's a good gift or not. 
And the time that it really spoke to me was when I was in a mission trip in Mexico, and their PA system was terrible. It was all ringy and crackly. I mean, it was nasty. And the musicians were terrible. The singing was terrible. And it was in Spanish, so I understood about one out of every ten words. And I had no idea what it was they were singing, but I experienced something in that worship that I never experienced before. I could sense that God was pleased with what was happening. He wasn't as concerned about the, you know, if it was a guitar prodigy up there playing or how great the vocals were. He wasn't concerned about the crazy reverb that was going through all of the channels. He was just concerned about the heart that was being offered. And this is what we have to remember when it comes to worship. What happens here on stage isn't as important as what it is that's happening inside of our hearts. I had to come to a place where I recognized that worship isn't about me, so it's not about catering to my musical styles and preferences, and that's a huge problem. How many people leave churches, split churches, cause disunity in the churches because they don't like the style of the music? And I'm like, that's so crazy because it's not for me. And I would do that. I'd go to places that were kind of more gospely, and I'm like, all right, this is okay, but it's not my thing. I'd go to places that were more rocky, and I'm like, this is okay, it's not my thing. But it's like, it doesn't have to be my thing. When I come to worship, it's not about pleasing me. It's not about suiting my needs. It's not a way that we try to attract people and to draw them in. It's the time when we come and we put our focus solely on Jesus. And we worship him, and we praise him for who he is, for what he's done, and for what he's going to do. So then what is worship? The first thing that worship is, is it's a demonstration of value. The word worship is actually um, an old English word called worth-ship, and it means to demonstrate attributed value. When we worship God, what we're doing is we're demonstrating the value that God has to us. And when we try to demonstrate value, there is always a sacrifice or a cost that is associated with that. Now, if you're willing to sacrifice greatly for something, it's because it has a lot of value to you. If you're not willing to sacrifice much for it, it means it doesn't have a lot of value to you. Now, I know some of you guys, and you love your cats. I mean, you guys love your cats. And I've seen people have spent thousands of dollars on surgeries and medications and special allergy foods for them and stuff like that because you value your cats. You're willing to sacrifice greatly for them. Now, me... I don't really value cats. So if I ever have to take a cat to the vet and they're like, hey, the problem is you have to feed them. You have to buy them food. I'd be like, oh, man, I'm afraid we're going to have to put it down. <laughs> Sorry, kids, that needed to have its claws trimmed. It's just not worth it to me because they just don't have a lot of value to me. But what it does mean a lot to me is guitars. I love guitars. The guitar player is like, yeah, that's right. And I spent a lot of my early years working very hard to earn a lot of money so that I could spend that money on guitars. And I had accumulated a pretty decent collection for someone my age. And they're like, don't touch my guitars. After I'm done playing them, I'm wiping off the strings and cleaning them all the time. Like, I'm babying these things. They have a lot of value to me, and I'm sacrificing greatly for them. And one of the golden rules of music is you never sell an instrument. Because every time you do, you're going to regret it. Because it's so hard to sacrifice and to earn the money to get one again. And I followed that rule. I didn't sell anything until one day when I met my future wife. And my heart changed. And I didn't know if she was my future wife at the time. But a couple years later, I asked her to marry me. And for me to get the money to buy a ring to demonstrate the value that she had to me, it meant that I had to sell one of my guitars. I actually had to sell two of my guitars. <laughs> now it's getting to be a sore subject again for me. 
But I had to sell two guitars so that I could buy this little tiny rock that they pulled out of the ground that somehow means something and, uh, and spend all of this money and make this great sacrifice. And why did I do that? Because I loved her. It didn't feel like a sacrifice for me to do this, even though it was a sacrifice. A lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of stuff that meant something to me was given up so that I could buy this ring for my wife, but I did it because she had so much value to me. And I wanted to express that value to her. I was expressing the worth that she had in my life and that I had placed upon her in the relationship that we had. And the reason that it was easy for me to make that sacrifice is because worship is motivated by love. It wasn't that someone made me have to do that. I wanted to sell those guitars so that I could buy that ring for her. I didn't sit down and cry or mourn. I did take a last picture of the guitars. I did do that. <laughs> but I was glad to be able to sell them so that I could buy this ring for my wife. And it's interesting. One of the words that's translated in worship as worship from the Old Testament is abad, which actually is also translated as bondservant in some places. And that might seem peculiar. Like a bondservant is also translated sometimes as being worship. And the reason for that is this. In the Old Testament times, you could make an agreement to enter into someone's service for a certain amount of time, and there would be some sort of compensation for that. And while you're there, you have to do what they say because they are your boss, they're your master, and you serve them. But what would happen is after the agreed-upon time had expired and you fulfilled the contract that you made with them, if you decided that you loved the family that you were serving, they had become your family, that your heart was for them, that you could make an agreement of where you stayed on in that household and continued to be a part of the house, and you served them now, not because there was an, a, an agreement and a contract that said that you had to serve them, but because there was love in your heart for the person that you were serving. And that's one of the images that we get for the way that we worship and for what worship is. It's an act of service. It's an act of sacrifice that we make to God, motivated by love. Not because there's fear or a compulsion uh, that we have to do this somehow, but our hearts want to worship God. We want to express love to God. We want to make sacrifices to express the value that he has to us because of the fact that we love him. Now, make no mistake, worshiping means that you will have to sacrifice. Because when you live a lifestyle of worship, and you say that in everything I do, from my time to my talents to the finances that you've given me to the way that I live my life, I want all of this to be a way that I'm expressing the value that you have to me, God. It means that there are going to be sacrifices that you have to make. But you do it out of love, not because you're forced to. And this is interesting. Paul, Timothy, James, Peter, and Jude all opened up some other letters in the, New, in the New Testament, not by saying that I'm an apostle, not by saying that I'm a disciple, or you know I'm a church planner, or whatever else. They all at some point opened up their letters by saying that we are bond servants of Jesus Christ. They were living their life as an act of worship for Jesus. Everything that they were doing, and they sacrificed greatly. Most of the apostles, all but one of the apostles, ended up laying down their life and serving Jesus. And Paul himself said that my life is being poured out like a drink offering for Jesus. There was a sacrifice that was made, but they weren't forced to do this, 
They were compelled by the love that they had for Jesus to make these sacrifices. And then thirdly, worship is physically expressed. One of the words that's translated into worship is an interesting word, and it actually means to kiss hands towards someone. And I remember when I first read that long ago, I was thinking, to kiss hands towards someone, what does that even mean? I started thinking about it, I was like, oh my goodness, that's blowing a kiss. When you kiss hands towards someone, you're physically expressing your love and your adoration towards someone. That's like with my little kids. I love it because we'll be going to bed and we give each other hugs and kisses and then as I'm, as I'm leaving, they're blowing me kisses as I'm going out the door. They keep doing it and it feels awkward. Am I supposed to close the door while they're blowing me a kiss or do I wait because they're never going to stop? So I'm <laughs> closing and trying to peek through and get the last kiss and then shut the door real quick. But it's an act of love. They're trying to express love. It's adoration that's there. You don't just kiss anybody. Have you guys noticed that? There are certain people you kiss and there are certain people that you don't kiss. I kiss my kids, I don't kiss other people's kids because there's a relationship there. And I don't kiss my kids the way that I kiss my wife because there's a different relationship that we have there. Someone's really laughing about that. <laughs> but it's an act of affection that love has to be physically expressed. And in fact, if love isn't expressed, it's not really love at all. Imagine if you were dating someone and the whole time there was this mental agreement like, yeah, I love this person all up here. I've got this agreement that I do love them. And I even wrote it in a card to them once. But if they would never hold your hand, if they would never give you a hug or, or put their arm around you, they never sat next to you when you were watching a movie together, that wouldn't be a relationship that you want to take into the place of marriage because you wouldn't be feeling love and you wouldn't be expressing love towards them. Or imagine if you were in marriage and there was no physical expression of love there. That wouldn't be a good relationship. You wouldn't feel honored. You wouldn't feel loved. You wouldn't feel respected or valued at all. And it's the same way with God, is that we have to physically express the value that we have for him. In fact, 55% of all communication is done through body language, which means that if we're going to express the love that we have for God, it has to be done in a physical way. And so then how do we worship? Is number one, we obey. John 14, 5 says this, If you love me, you will obey what I command. So once again, it's coming back to the motive of love. The reason why we worship God, the reason why we express the value that he has to us, has to come from the place of love. But the first way that we worship God is by being obedient to what it is that he's called us to do. He says, if you love me, you will obey what it is that I ask of you. And this gets to be hard. Uh, there's places in the Bible that are very hard. Hey, I'm not going to lie. I'm a pastor. When I read through my Bible, there are things that I don't understand. There are things that don't even seem right to me sometimes. Have you guys ever found one of those passages where you come up against it and you're like, can that be true? Is that really what God wants? I don't understand it. Well, one of the words for worship, and it's an interesting one, it actually means that you would come in to the presence of a king and that you would bow your head down below theirs as a sign of your submission to them and their authority over you. That's one of the words that's translated as worship. And so there are times that we have to come into the presence of God and we have to bow our own will. We have to bow the fact that we might not understand something to his authority where we say, God, I don't understand this. Maybe I don't even agree with this in my heart. 
But because I know you are good, because I know you are trustworthy, because I know you are just, I choose to submit myself to you even in the places where I don't understand. And that's an act of worship towards God, is when we fully submit ourselves to him. And then secondly, we praise him. And the word praise means a physical expression of worship. It's an expression of approval or admiration. When my son hits the ball off of the tee, I mean, I praise him and I say, good job, even when he misses it or the ball goes backwards or whatever, because I'm still just trying to encourage him. But when he hits that ball and it goes somewhere, I'm like, that was the best hit I've ever seen. Good job, Ethan. Like, that was incredible. You keep at it. I'm praising him for what it is that he's done. And it's the same way with God. We come into his presence, and one of the ways that we worship is we verbally, physically express our approval of God, of who it is that he is, of the value that he has inside of our lives. And there are 11 words in the Hebrew that are translated as praise or thanksgiving or worship. And there are seven that are most dominant. And these are what they are. These are the ways that they physically expressed worship to God in the Old Testament. And the first one is tada, which means a thanksgiving choir. Now, one of the words for Thanksgiving actually meant it's a choir. There are people, a group of people that are singing as a way of worshiping God. Another one is barak, which means to kneel in Thanksgiving. People would come in and they would actually just get on their knees as an act of worship, as an act of praise and adoration for God and for who he is. And then there's tequilah, not tequila, but it means to sing a song of Thanksgiving. This is just the individual. You're so thankful for what it is that God's done in your life that you just sing out his praises and how good he is. Another one is halal, which means to give thanks by being clamorously foolish. And this is when you think about David, when the Ark of the Covenant comes into town and he's all excited about it and he's out there and he's dancing in front of it and his wife is like, what are you doing? You look like a complete fool. And he gets mad and he's like, you know what? I'm doing this to worship God and I'll become even more undignified than this. He was clamorously foolish because of his love for God. And then there's yada, which means to give thanks with extended hands. It means that they would just raise their hands as an expression of love, an expression of God's worth and his value to them. And then there's zamar, which means to give thanks with a musical instrument. They would play instruments as a way of praising and worshiping God. Then there's Shabak, which means to shout in a loud tone. These are the different ways, the seven most common ways that worship was expressed inside of the Old Testament. And in fact, in Psalm 100, verse 4, you see four of these words in one verse. It says, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. And so those words are, it means, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, which is Todah, which is a thanksgiving choir, and into his courts with praise, Tehillah, which means singing praises. Give thanks, yada, which means extend your hands to him and bless, or barak, bow before his name. So you could kind of rewrite that verse and it could be put as, enter into his gates with thanksgiving choirs and into his courts with singing praises. Be thankful by extending your hands to him and bless him by bowing before his name. In that one verse, we see all of these different expressions of praise and worship to God. So why do we sing praises? Why do we you know, start out every service by singing songs together? This is number one. It's because this, God's told us to do that. He's commanded us to sing to him. He's told us that I want you to sing my praises. I want you to sing thanksgiving to me. One of the things that God commanded Israel to do in the Old Testament was every morning and every night they would sing and they would say, the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. 
We've turned that into God is good, and everybody says all the time, but that's not what it means. It's God is good and his mercy endures forever. That was what they said when they woke up. It was what they said before they went to bed. It was a constant reminder. It was constant thanksgiving, praise, worship, adoration of God, who he is, and what he's done. And I think one of the reasons that God's commanded us to sing is because music moves us in a way that nothing else does. Music engages our soul, our spirit, and our body all at once. Like if you guys have caught yourself when you're sitting there and you listen to a song and you're like tapping your toe, kind of listening to it, or start playing the air drums along with the song, or playing the guitar, you never do that when you're viewing art. I've never been at an art gallery and you see someone, oh my gosh, look at this Monet. Like they don't do that because it doesn't engage their body in the same way. I've never been reading a book and just like gotten up and bowed down on my knees and given thanks. There's something about music that engages the entirety of who we are as a person. And that's why we do music. That's why we sing these songs and these praises and adorations together to God. And this is the heart of it. I think what's behind this is uh, some of you guys are probably hearing this like, oh my goodness, I don't want to be clamorously foolish. I don't want to shout. I don't want to bow or raise my hands or whatever. We all receive love and we all express love in different ways. What's important isn't that we all do the same thing. What's important is that we are all finding a way to physically express the love and adoration that we have for Jesus. Whether that means that you sing, you raise your hands, you bow down, you're singing in a choir, you shout, you're clamorously foolish, whatever it is, the important thing isn't the way that you're expressing it, it's important that you are expressing the love that you have for God. And so then, why do we worship? And the first reason is because he's worthy. The reason why we worship is because God is so worthy. He's worth our praise. He's worth our adoration. He's worth our love and our affection. In Revelation, we get a glimpse of what the throne room of heaven is like. And what we're supposed to do is to continue to make the world that we live in line up with the model that we see in heaven. And in heaven, it says that the, all of the people that have gone before us, the saints that have gone before us, the angelic beings, they're all there in the throne room of God, and they're saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive the reward of his sacrifice. They're worshiping God. And they're expressing the worth that he has because he is worthy. And think about who God is. He's love, he's just, he's perfect, he's true in all of his ways. He's the one that's our healer, he's the one that's our provider. He's the one that goes before us, he's the one that guards the tail, he's the one that we can put our hope in and we're never disappointed. He's the comforter, he's the one who does all of the things that we cannot do, everything that we need, God is. He's the one who provided us a way of salvation. For everything that he's done, for everything that he is, for everything that he is yet to do, God is so worthy of our praise and our adoration. But here's what happens. Is instead of looking at who God is and how worthy he is of our praise, a lot of times we get distracted by the circumstances and the situations that we find ourselves in in life. You run into a, a troubled patch in life and it gets hard. When you... You know, if you, like Ed McMahon shows up at your door, I don't know if he still does that or if he's even still with us, but you're like, thank you, Jesus. Like, it's not going to be hard to praise him for what he's done when he just poured out $10 million on you, right? Is it that God has changed? No, God hasn't changed, but there's a circumstance in your life that makes you more aware of how good God is. 
When I was at my wedding, it was like, thank you, God. You've, I mean, I'm so happy. This is the best day of my life. But when you run into the tough times in life, it gets easy to take your focus off of God and who he is and put it on the situations and circumstances that you find yourself in. And this happened to Paul and Silas. This is one of my favorite stories regarding worship in all of the Bible. In Acts 16.24, what's happened is they were out, they were preaching the gospel, they cast a demon out of a girl, and you think, that's a great thing, everybody's going to be really happy, but instead of people being happy, they ended up beating them and jailing them. And so they're sitting there in jail, having been beaten for doing a good thing. You know, no reward goes unpunished, or no good thing goes, un- I don't know, I'm not going to talk anymore. But they've done a good thing, and they've been punished for it. Like, they've been beaten because they were doing God's will. And this is what happens. As they're sitting there in that jail, it says, At about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. See, when you run into the tough times in life, one of two things is going to happen. You either put your focus on the problem, which will take your focus away from God and his worthiness and his power to move inside of your situation, Or you will bring the problem before God, submit that problem to God, and choose to put your focus solely on him. I love that old hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. It talks about how when we do that, the problems that we face in this world grow strangely dim. And that's what Paul and Silas did. They said, we are in a very real situation here. Now, praise isn't denying the reality of the situation we find ourselves in, choosing to praise and choosing to worship God says that, God, even in the place that I'm at right now, I'm still going to say that you are worthy, you still are good, and I'm going to put my faith, my hope, and my trust in you. And when you do that, Jesus becomes magnified and your problem diminishes. And this is the result of them making the choice to put their focus on Jesus and to praise him and to worship him. It continues by saying that uh, at about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. See, when we worship God, we encounter God. Paul and Silas' problem was that they were sitting there in jail and they had been called to go out and to preach the gospel. Instead of saying, God, you failed me. God, maybe you're not as good as I thought you were. They just said, God, you are good. You are worthy of my praise. You are worthy of my honor and my affection. Even here as I'm chained up in a jail having been beaten, you are still so worthy because I know who you are. I know what you're like. I know the things you've done. I know the things you're doing. I know the things that you are going to do. And I am going to express your worth through my praises. And in response to that, a miracle happens. They encountered the power of the God that they were worshiping. There was a man, this was one of the coolest things uh, that ever happened to me in worship was uh, we, we were doing this worship set and afterwards we found out there was this man who had come there and he was a Muslim and his friends had been just begging him and like, just keep bringing up, like, come to church with us some week, come to church with us some week. And he's like, no, 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 I don't want to. But finally one week he finally relents and he finally comes to church and it's that week. 
And in the middle of worship, nobody gave an altar call, nobody talked about Jesus or anything. But as we were worshiping God, as we were praising him, declaring his value, God spoke to this man. God revealed himself to this man. And right there in the middle of that worship set, he surrendered his life to Jesus. And he put his faith and trust in Jesus for his salvation, and he made him the Lord over his life. And what it meant was that when he went home and told his family about it, he was disowned. But here's the thing. If we talk someone into following Jesus, someone else can talk them out of it. If someone becomes a Christian because of fear, then when that fear wears off, they won't still follow Jesus. But when someone encounters God and they hear God speak to their heart, there's no going back from that. And he was willing to make the sacrifice of being cast out of his own family because he knew that he had met his heavenly father and he had gained his heavenly family. And two years later, that man ended up having a heart attack. He had a, a birth defect that he didn't know about. But because the saints gathered together and they declared God's worthiness, that man encountered God and his life was forever changed and he received eternal life. That's what happens when we worship God. And then third, we find freedom. It says, When the jailer awoke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. See what the end result of this was? Paul and Silas decide they're going to worship. Other people are listening. They're declaring how worthy God is. Even in their beaten, jailed situation, they're still honoring God. They're still loving him, physically praising God and expressing his value. There's an encounter with God that shakes the place and releases their shackles. And that becomes the opportunity where God speaks to people and salvation, spiritual freedom is brought to them. This jailer, he's about to kill himself. He has become so hopeless that he is about to take his own life. But instead, in the encounter with God, he goes from being someone who's hopeless about to take his own life to becoming someone who has now met his heavenly father, someone who has been set free from spiritual bondage, Someone who now rejoices and has joy and becomes a worshiper himself. That's what happens when we worship. We worship because God's worthy. It's something that we do for him and to him. But those around us are changed by it as well. There's another man I know that was at Radiant Church and he had decided that he was going to kill himself. He said, God, I'm going to go to church one more time and if you don't speak to me or show yourself to me, then I'm going to go home and I'm going to kill myself. He had lost all hope, just like this jailer. And once again, he came in as we began to declare God's goodness. As we began to express our love for him just by raising hands. 
It says that God inhabits the praises of his people. We created an environment where others can come and encounter the power and the presence of God through worship. Really, worship is a way that we do war against the works of the enemy. And this man that was ready to take his own life came in, and in worship, again, it wouldn't have anything to do with what the pastor said. It was in the moment of worship that God spoke to him and put hope inside of him. And that man gave his life to Jesus and is serving in ministry today. Because when we worship, we encounter God, and we find freedom. And so, this is the question for us today. Jesus said that my house is a house of prayer, and it's a house of worship. There are two things that we are supposed to make sure that we do as the church, and that's we are to pray, and we are to worship. Now, are we going to be a house of worship? Are we going to be worshipers? Would you guys stand with me this morning? Let's just take a moment to listen to God and see what it is that he has to say to us this morning. This is a question to ask yourself. Have you found yourself at that Paul and Silas moment where there is something that's going on, there's a situation, there's a circumstance, some trouble that you've come against? And you're now having to make the decision, am I going to worship God in this time? Am I still going to express his value? Am I going to choose to praise him? I'm going to put my focus squarely on Jesus and how worthy he is. Or am I going to put my focus on this problem that I've come up against and deny Jesus the praise that he is worthy of? Has there been something that's happened that's made it so you're disappointed in God? Or it's made you change your view of how worthy he is? Just ask God to reveal that to you. And this is the way that we respond to that. If, if there is something there that God has revealed to you, is to make the sacrifice of praise. To say, my emotions, my feelings aren't going to lead me, but I'm going to choose to bless God. I'm going to choose to praise Him, regardless of what I'm going through. Because I have tasted and I have seen, my faith is that God is good. And He is worthy. And if you make the decision to do that this morning, you're going to encounter God and there's going to be freedom that comes to you. So Father, we come before you this morning. We declare that you are worthy. There is no one who is like you. Your name is above all names. And we choose to humbly bow and submit ourselves to you. God, we ask that you would stir up in our hearts the remembrance of the ways that you've moved inside of us. God, we ask that you would stir up and build faith inside of us to put our faith and our trust in you, to believe that you are good, that you are always so worthy, that your mercy and your love endure forever. 
And Jesus, we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would move on our hearts, God, to make us worshipers in everything that we do and the way that we live our life. And God, that you would even stir us up to physically express the love that we have for you. And Jesus, would you give us strength in the hard times that we find ourselves in? When we have to make that decision, God, to praise you and to put our focus on you or to put our focus on the problem, God, would you strengthen us to put our faith in you, to put our focus and our attention on you and on you alone. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.